When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. New to Podcast One Sportsnet is the Baseball and Show podcast. Listen each week to Kelly Nash and Scott Brom from the MLB Network as they cover all the big storylines and trending topics on and off the diamond. Some past guests include Baseball Hall of Famer John Smoltz and player-turned-coach Joe Girardi. Listen free to the show exclusively on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOneSports.com, and the Podcast One app. If you love the show, share it with a friend and leave a rating and review. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I wanted to do a tiers podcast going through the NBA with someone and Matt Moore graciously offered to come on. We spent a fair amount of time prepping this because he had an ambitious idea for how to do this episode. I really enjoyed working on it. And we got into a lot of substantive conversations about these different teams, how to group them, how we're thinking about the league right now. And the conversation is brought to you by All American, the new show that is on the CW. It actually launched on Wednesday night betonline.ag. You can use that podcast one promo code for a 50% sign up bonus. And there is a special offer in the episode that I want to save for that. It's pretty cool. I'm excited about that. Also friends at Pluto TV, the leading free streaming television service and true car. Great place to buy new and used cars. This is a hearty episode. It's over an hour and a half on a lot of different topics. That's the nature of Tears Podcasts, and I'm so happy Matt was able to come on. His work for the Action Network and, of course, everything else that he's done is great prep for this kind of thing because he's somebody who thinks about and watches the whole league. So I'm so happy that he was able to come on, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be on with you. I've been looking forward to this all week. Yeah, I mean, we we worked through the logistics of this about a week ago, and that's good because I needed some time to really wrap my brain around it. And so I, I thought I'd start with, because I gave you a couple of options in terms of how we were going to structure this tier's podcast. I'm extremely happy with what you chose, but I'll let you explain it because you chose it. What do we decide on? <laughs> I'm trying to remember that now. Well, so we're doing the whole league and that we're doing yeah. it by team quality instead of like regular season right. record or something. So what that forced me to do was a couple of different things that I really enjoyed. One was really thinking about it, not as like, oh, who's going to be which seed, anything like that. It's like, okay, who's good and who's not good? You know, like those more basic questions. And then the other thing that was a challenge with it that I enjoyed was a lot of times when I get into a tiers podcast, because I do these with some frequency, I think about it a lot in terms of the playoffs. And it's like, oh, well, who's going to make the playoffs? Who's maybe on the fringe and all that? And well, if you're doing a whole league 
tiers podcast, sometimes it gets a little bit hard to do it on playoffs because as my expectation, though it's changing a little bit with what's happened this past couple weeks, is that the West will be stronger than the East. So the line of like, you know, for example, let's say Charlotte, like Charlotte probably, you know, would be on the deep fringes of of a West playoff race, but in the East, they're more in the middle of it. And so you don't want to think about like, so you you don't want to put the Hornets in the same tier as a team that's way better than them just because they have a similar likelihood of making the playoffs. So I like that. So So it also was a clarification in terms of it. And one other thing I'll say, because I didn't think, I couldn't think of a smarter way to do it, was I actually have the Timberwolves in here twice because Mm -hmm. I have them in if they don't make a Jimmy Butler trade, and then I have them in on kind of like an an expected value Jimmy Butler trade. I mean, because I I couldn't reconcile like the odds of that. I expect that they will trade him, so I won't spend a lot of time talking about it. But I also thought it was important as a point of reference for like, okay, this is how good I thought the Wolves were going to be, and then this is what they might be now. So it is pretty pretty striking yeah, how big that difference is. It, yeah, and it's it, the reason I wanted to do it this way, and I should find my, my notes on it, was that a lot of it is – I've been, I've been big on this the last couple of seasons. It took me a while to kind of figure this out throughout my career, but eventually I learned that the NBA regular season, everybody talks about it as meaningless. I don't think it's meaningless. It's just fungible. Like there's just a lot of movement that you can create if you do certain things. Like the Spurs – you know, we're one game out of the third seed basically last year. They were one game out of the third seed. You know, they wound up in, in seventh or eighth, I forget which, and we've been eighth cause, or seventh because they played the Warriors. Um, so the, the Spurs, for example, were not really all that good of a team. And if you really watch them, you're able to be like, wow, there's just not a lot of firepower on this team. But they were really good at winning games because winning regular season games is entirely different from how good of a team you are. And there's just a, there's a very subtle differential there. And there's things to be said for that consistency, but there's also things to be said for what you're capable of. Like when you're at your best, what are you really going to do? But there also is a factor there of how often do you get there? Like I think the Wizards are a really good team when they get there. They just almost never get there. They only ever scrape that ceiling versus the Spurs like have two hands firmly on the bar that is their ceiling. They, they are always kind of there. They are playing to the best of their ability if they're not resting players. And so um, those kind of subtle differences I think are, are really interesting. And it's also really fascinating to look at it cross-conference because I think about this a lot where when you look at the standings, you we always look at them within the context of, of the conference because that's what matters for playoffs. But then you go back – you know, and you look at like last year, like the Indiana Pacers won 48 games, which basically means that they were like record wise, they were the same team as the Utah Jazz. Do you feel like those teams are equal? Are they equivalent? And, and conference schedule definitely plays a part in that. But there's also just this weird, like we don't ever tend to put them in line with one another and comparing them based off of win total is really interesting. And that's where I think you start to get a sense more of, okay, who's really the better team here between two teams that have the same record? And this is also a really good time to do this because for me, well, so we'll start at the top and move our way to the bottom, but because the top of the East is really strong this year. And so this is not going to be like six West teams in a row and then the first East team or something like that. And the place to start with this, this is a question that is a holdover from last year's Tears podcast, which is just, are the Warriors in a group by themselves or do you have them with other teams? There is one other team with them. Interesting. Um, I think the Boston Celtics are the only team in their range. I think they are in their tier. I think the Celtics deserve to be in their tier because if we look at them, if we separate them out and like separate them into kingdoms, right? So the West is, is the Warriors kingdom and the East is the Celtics kingdom. Both of them have complete reign. If they choose to win those respective number one seeds, those teams will do so. There is not a scenario I can see, and, and this is where I separate out from, I think, a lot of analysts in that I don't think the gap is as close between Boston 
and Toronto at, at all, as I think a lot of analysts do. And, and there are reasons. I, I could definitely buy it. I just don't come out there. I, I look at the Boston Celtics, and I look at the number one defense last year, getting back Kyrie Irving, getting back Gordon Hayward, who is a phenomenal player, but not just a phenomenal player, a phenomenal player that makes everybody better. He makes everything easier. So now instead of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown having to take the primary defensive assignment, those guys can take two and three on the wing. It makes it easier to hide Kyrie Irving. It opens up more opportunities with quick passes from Al Horford when he's so good at that. Uh, it provides more spacing for Kyrie because of the of the, the way that he's able to space the floor out. There are all these things that he makes better. You have an expected improvement from Jalen Brown uh, and Jason Tatum and Terry Rozier and probably Marcus Smart. You have Marcus Smart, who's probably going to be healthy and not suspended slash injured with a broken hand after he punched a picture in a wall last year. There are all these reasons to look at it and just go, when, when I sat down and I really looked at Boston's performance, which I have been a Boston skeptic continuously throughout the last couple of years. Like I just, I tend to think that Stevens gets more out of them than maybe what they're really capable of. And the playoffs have kind of proven that. And even last year, they made the Eastern Conference Finals and were one game short of the, of the finals, but you have to place a lot of context on that. They didn't have to face the Raptors. They it took them seven games versus the Bucks with the worst coach in the playoffs, as much as I don't feel like it's Joe Prunty's fault. He just wasn't in a position to succeed there. You know, they, they get past the Sixers, who were very inexperienced in the second round, and then they get beat by LeBron, which, you know, hey, hats off to LeBron, but that was an awful Cavs team. It was a truly awful Cavs team, and the Celtics could, still couldn't get there. So to a degree, they still kind of reached it. But when I look at, like, their baseline that they've established and then the additions that they get back of these players, plus internal improvement, plus what we're seeing is really the last couple of years, like, there's a, there are metrics now to really indicate the impact that Brad Stevens has. I think they're good enough to warrant discussion of being able to hang with Golden State. There's a reason Golden State talks about how much they respect them in a way that they never really talked about Cleveland. Um, there's a lot of mutual respect between the, those two franchises. And to me, the Celtics are head and shoulders above everybody else in the league except for Golden State. It's funny because I think you and I are closer in agreement than most than a lot of people on this. I have the Celtics a little bit lower. I have them at the top of the next year, but I completely understand your rationale because what I would say is the, is the easiest way of explaining the idea of the Celtics being ahead is the concept of expected value versus ceiling. So could Toronto be better than Boston? Yes, absolutely. If Kawhi Leonard is the guy that we saw in 16-17 and the bench mob is the same even without Jakoperto, who I think was an important part of that, and this all happens seamlessly, Nick Nurse opens up things offensively, but they don't lose the defensive execution that was an important part under Dwayne Casey. Sure, yes, Toronto could be better than could be better than Boston. And also, regular season record, I think the Celtics are also far and away better, just because we know that they're going to grind game in, game out. They have the talent; they're insanely deep. I mean, so are the Raptors, but you have that. But so, so you have with Boston the to me their expected value is incredibly. High. I think there's a, a pretty significant chance that Boston has a better regular season record than the Warriors. That's not the question we're addressing in this podcast, but I wanted to mention it. And the other part of this, which is worth considering, is that Boston has the personnel to make things challenging for the Warriors. Something that I like that they can do is they have a lot of guys to throw at Kevin Durant. I'm not sure they have a single you know like real stopper unless Jalen Brown has taken a step up because Brown, you know, like he struggled with LeBron, Durant and LeBron are different guys. Durant is less physical, but he has more height. So he structure, he, he operates in a little bit of a different way. And Brown has struggled with LeBron for years because LeBron James is a pain in the ass to defend. But 
Boston has good personnel for that. They have a lot of guys to throw at different circumstances. They're deep. So the other part that you got at, which I think is extremely important, is bringing back Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. So Kyrie, last year, Boston had a 109.6 offensive rating when Kyrie was on the floor. That's really good. It's not, you know, transcendent, you know, like those, like some of the crazy stuff that the Rockets were putting out there or anything like that. But if you have one of the league's best defenses, which they often have when they've been healthy, then those two things fit together to make a really, really good team. And so while I have Boston at the top of the next tier, just because the Warriors have, you know, they have these four bona fide all-star kind of like Hall of Famer, close to peak of their powers type guys. I understand your argument. I, I, I'm not all the way there yet. And, and keep in mind, I'm saying the word yet here, and that's a lot to say for a team when you're saying they're in the mix with a team that's won three of the last four championships and is basically the same team. But it's, it's amazing how, how Boston has done that. And Stevens deserves a lot of credit. Ainge deserves a lot of credit. These players actually working as hard as they have is important too. I think part of me with Golden State is, um, I'm not, I think they'll try more early than they did last year. Like it's evident, to, like reading the quotes from practice and hearing the way that they're talking, um, that they're in a much better place than they were last year after the China trip. It's just clear that just not going to China and getting a summer where they actually all rested um, has done a lot for them. I'm not saying I don't buy the like Marcus Cousins is going to invigorate them. I'm not in on that because I'm just like boogie for a month is a lot different than boogie for four months. Um, but what I do think is like I think there's a higher variance there of are they able to keep that energy up. Right? Like, do they, do they keep that level of exhaustion? Because there was a point last year where they screwed around so much that that just kind of became who they were. Like, they just kind of, they couldn't get up for these games to a point where it wasn't just like, well, they could do it when they want to. It was just like, that's who they are. Like, that's just like who they are as a team that can't get up for, for games. And they were able to raise it to the level that they needed to, to, to sweep the, the Spurs and the level they needed to get to to handle the Pelicans. And then obviously right to huge problems versus Houston. And I think this year with Kevin Durant's whole situation and the pressure that causes, like, there's a lot of weird dynamics here where, it's the last year, so they could push really hard to be like, let's make the most of this. But that could also get exhausting come January, February. Like, there's just a lot of areas where I don't know how good the Warriors are going to be relative to the rest of the league, except for the fact that I know they're going to be better. Last year, even going in, and last two years, I've just been like, oh, the Warriors are just going to be leaps and bounds, definably way better than absolutely everyone. And this year, I'm like, well, no, I think they're, they're human. Like, they're mortal. They're beatable in a certain sense. I don't think it'll happen four times in a playoff series. I don't think that they'll, they will. I think they will win the Western Conference to be the number one seed. Um, I think they'll try enough to get that, but there's a point where I, I don't know if they're going to be so overwhelming. Now that could be wrong. There there are signs where I'm just like, ooh, if they really push it, they could be a, this could be another 2016 like one to remember. Um, but it's enough for me to at least put the Boston Celtics in that tier with them. And there's always a question like with when you have guys like Andre Iguodala, who is probably going to take almost the whole regular season off from a functional perspective. I mean, he'll obviously play, but you go getting and getting into that of. Can you really turn it on for six weeks or four weeks or whatever it is? Like last year was really strange for me as somebody who has been around that team a lot, where it was the first time I actually questioned with some of those guys like Draymond. This was an example. He was also dealing with a shoulder injury a lot of last year where you're sitting there going, okay, well, he's not playing as well defensively this year as he did in prior years. And so as much as he's made noise about, oh, there aren't blankety blank better defensive players than me, there were a lot of players who were better defensively 
offensively than he was last year. So if he wants to complain about not getting defensive player of the year votes and all that, well, he should show a more concerted dominance on that end if that's what he wants. And there are financial incentives for him to do so, of course. But I had these moments in time where I said, do do these guys, often specific players, still have it? Like, is this still in them? And the answer appeared to be yes. But it is worth mentioning that to me, in that Houston series, that still wasn't, for the most part, those insane Warriors teams of twenty the, the 16-17 season. Like, that did yeah. not look to me like the same team. Some of that, you know, Iguodala being limited, missing time, all that. You can make the, those excuses can be made, and they might be relevant. We won't know for a while. But the just dominance offensively, I mean, part of that is Houston's scheme taking people out of their stuff and the Warriors not being as aggressive, attacking weaknesses, because that's not Kerr's ethos. But those questions are still there, and I would argue this is a really interesting dynamic this year because I think Houston got worse, but a lot of other teams got better. So how relevant will that question be? I don't know yet, but it is worth mentioning that to me, the Warriors were not as strong last season as they were in KD's first one. Yeah, and I think just like, I don't, even in KD's first one, I think a lot of people would say that they were really strong. I've always said this, that not always, and I realized this last season, that KD's the floor, Steph's the ceiling. So the, the Warriors had their ceiling all the time in 2016. That's how they won a record number of games. Uh, in 2017, they didn't have as many low points. They just It was so hard to beat them because it was like even if they had an off night, they were just still going to trounce you because they had Kevin Durant. And then last year, it really felt like they just – I love it. It was just like they were uninspired. And, and I think that that's like the best word for it. It's like they were just uninspired. And I go back to that Houston series, and I continue to be frustrated with how they responded to all the questions about what was going on with them because they just kept saying like, no, it's a defense. You know, when you're they're, they're switching like that. It's just really hard, and you know we have to go KD ISO because he's got a mismatch. I'm like that's just what we got to do. And it's like that's not true. Like you've seen switching defenses before, man. You see switching defenses all the time, and you still move the ball the way the Warriors do. This is not the first time you've seen a good switching defense. Come on, uh, there were different things going on with that team, and, and I still wonder kind of what that's going to be like and how that tension uh, reveals itself. But all of this is like chipping away at their greatness, which is why they remain like obviously up to the top. You mentioned with the record. I do have uh, Boston winning one more game than Golden State this year. Yeah, I could absolutely see one or more teams winning more than Golden State. It is worth noting, like last one of the big differences last year, you talked about Steph being the ceiling, KD being the floor. Like the Warriors offense was so much worse when Curry was unavailable entirely. I mean, they were worse when he was off the floor too, but when he was unavailable, I think they played at like a 66 win pace when Curry was out there. So, I mean, they still have a lot of that in them. And part of my theory with the Warriors for a lot of years has been when they're healthy, even if they're not trying, they're still so much better than almost everybody that they can win damn near all of those games. So some of it is a question of just how healthy will they be. But that ties in with something which is, I think they're going to be exceedingly cautious if anybody has any sort of thing, like if they stub their toe or if they, you know, tweak their ankle or whatever, they're going to sit some games because there is no incentive to pushing somebody back in the regular season other than arguably Draymond and Clay for their contract purposes. And even that, I'm not sure how nutso they're going to be about it. Yeah. And even then, like, you know, if you said a guy last year, it was like, oh no, you only have three all-stars. And now it's like, if Cousins is on track for what they say he's on track for, it's like, oh, you only have four. 
You know, it's just there's just there's just so much talent. Again, the floor is so high for this team. I don't think the bench is good. The bench wasn't good last year. I don't think the bench will be good this year. I don't think it'll be appreciably worse. I just think it'll be about the same. I think they're the same team kind of that they were last year when that bench wasn't. Like, there were metrics that indicated it, but most of that was when they played with the the starting guys all the time. Like this team is still starter heavy. That's fine, but they just have too much in order to kind of fall behind. One other thing, briefly, I want to say before we move on from the Warriors is their lack of shooting outside of. I mean, it's crazy that you say outside of the what three of the best shooters of all time, but their shooting outside of those guys is still limiting, and that could be a problem at certain points in the season. Both just like stagnating a little bit on offense and a little in limited moments, maybe a little bit in the playoffs. And they didn't really do much to address that. Jarebko is looks like he's more willing to shoot than Caspi, which is about the lowest bar that exists. But they didn't really do much to improve their wing depth or to really work on their shooting. And I don't think it's going to be a big problem, but I want to put a pin in it just in case. Going to take a quick moment to tell you about All American, the new show that just launched on the CW that airs on Wednesdays. It is the new project from Greg Berlanti, producer of Riverdale, Black Lightning, numerous other shows. And this is really his foray into sports. It's inspired by Spencer Pacinger, and it tells the story of a character named Spencer who is starring at a high school in South Central, but then gets recruited to play in Beverly Hills and everything that comes along with that. I watched the pilot before it aired publicly, but now you have the chance to see it for yourself. And I was really impressed with the way it went. I thought that the story was interesting. I thought it was well acted. Tay Diggs in particular, they're giving him some serious meat to work with. He plays the coach of the Beverly Hills High School with a lot of pressures on his own plate. And it's exciting to see where this story can go. I think that it's been thoughtfully crafted. And now I get to see where, you know, Spencer and Billy and the the families and everything else, how, how it all pieces together. But I've been really impressed with it so far. Hopefully you are as well. Don't miss the incredible new series, All American, Wednesdays only on the CW and the CW app. Okay, but we can move on. So you have, you have the Warriors and the Celtics in that same tier. I'll lay part of it out for you, and then I'll, I'll let you kind of have the lead. So for me, I had this big problem of how to separate, whether I wanted to separate out kind of really the the remaining best of the best and the teams that like that I'm more confident in their place and then the teams that might be there but I'm not sure and what I ended up doing was actually putting them all together because of what my definition of a tier is which is would I be surprised if team x is better than team y and so i ended up with a little bit of a bigger tier than maybe some people would hear especially with the inclusion of the celtics which i'm a little bit queasy about because they are better than these teams probably maybe that would lead me towards something like yours in the future but i was an interesting challenge and so i'll I'll mention it that the teams that were challenging for me were the sixers and the jazz both those teams are good but they haven't proven it nearly as much as the ones above them so i actually have a two-team tier right above the top so there's the two teams at the top which are the celtics and the warriors and the next step down for me um, is a two-team tier with the Rockets and Raptors. And then those are two teams that their high variance, like their high outcome is an NBA championship, uh, and their low outcome is considerably lower than the Celtics and the Warriors. Like there are scenarios in which I see the Rockets and the Raptors having wildly disappointing seasons for a variety of reasons, including I don't know how Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard are going to get along and how that's going to impact things. I don't know what the locker room is going to feel like after they trade DeMar. I don't know about Nick Nurse. Um, I, I've loved Nick Nurse since he was a coach in the D-League, smart guy. Interviewed him when he was doing stuff with the D-League. He's always been a really well-regarded assistant. I have a lot of confidence he'll keep up a lot of the good things. But we just haven't seen it. And sometimes being a head coach is just different than being an assistant, and you have to see them in that capacity. Everyone thought Brian Shaw was going to be an excellent coach because of his experience as an assistant as well as his NBA experience, and he was a disaster. So 
like, I just got to see it. And with the Rockets talking to their front office guys, like you just get the sense of, of what they were thinking when they made the moves that they did, which are, we wanted higher variance is that we knew we had this really solid baseline with Clint and Chris and James and so instead of going with Ariza and Mamute and running it back and just hoping that the same thing went a little bit further, we got a little bit more cost effective and took some bigger shots. And I think they're still angling. That's why you hear them continue to be talked about in the Jimmy Butler talks. They want to add one more high-profile piece. But I think that those two teams are high-variance squads, where their highest variance is the Raptors could beat the Celtics in a seven-game series and the Rockets could beat the Warriors in a seven-game series. I wouldn't pick either one to do so, but they're the only teams that I really have confidence in being able to beat those top two teams. That all makes sense. I went a little bit more optimistic with the Sixers and the Jazz on this logic. So basically why I put all these teams together is that they have both, all all five of them, because I still have the Celtics here, though they're kind of, like they're in a mini tier of their own just because they're so much more established. But all of these teams have one end of the floor where they should be elite. So for a lot of them, that's defense. I mean, the Jazz, the Sixers, the Celtics, and the Raptors, I think, will be among the league's best defensive teams. And, and the ordering will sometimes be about bench defense, luck on th- opponent three-point shooting, all that kind of stuff. Then the Rockets are elite, obviously, offensively. Then on the other end, I think they'll be positives. Like, I think these teams will all be above average on their inferior side of the court. But I don't think they'll be elite. Boston has the best chance, so that's why they're at the top of this tier. And Utah's at the bottom because I'm probably the least certain about their offense that you could make an argument that the Sixers are shakier. It just depends on what you feel about their talent. And that's why I couldn't separate it because I'm sitting there going, well, how sure am I that Houston's defense is going to be solid this year? And, you know, I, I think that the groundwork is in place after what they did last year, but they don't have as much depth on the forward line, and the forward line is exceedingly important. Bizdelic is gone. I don't know how much it's going to be about his coaching versus the lessons he imparted over last year. So I wasn't as sure of that. And with the Raptors, it, the whole idea of expected value is there. Like their ceiling is crazy high, but we don't know for sure yet what Kawhi we're getting. I, I liked, I watched a fair portion of the game against the Jazz. I liked how he looked, but it wasn't, you know, 100% Kawhi Leonard is the same guy he always was or anything like that. And, you know, it's, it, you, you brought up Nurse, and I think that's a very important point here is assistance head coaches, very different things. Also, the chemistry of a team that a lot of guys deserve serious minutes and some guys just have to take a back seat. That can always be challenging for changing coaches, but also when you've had success because you're sitting there like, DeLon Wright is going to be a free agent this year. Is he going to be sitting there going like, hey, I can't be marginalized all this time. I'm a really good player. And they're all, they've all played ball so far, but there is never a guarantee that that will continue into the future. So it's a lot for a nurse to handle. I think that if they can make it through the regular season, he'll be, I'm happier to have him on board than Casey, just because I think he'll be more flexible in terms of who he plays in the playoffs. And that was a big criticism that I had of Casey, but there's a whole minefield between now and April that he's going to have to navigate. Yeah. And I, just, I think there's a lot, I, there's just not so much instability, right? Like if, this is, the, the Raptors are one where a month in, I could be like, okay, they've answered all the questions that I had, and now the other team on paper, uh, the, they're the team in reality that they look like on paper. Um, and that's going to be a really good team and probably a team that's going to be right there with Boston the whole way. The Rockets, if Melo does adapt and suddenly is a better defender or if Bazelic's influence wasn't that important and, and Mike D'Antoni really does take an interest in keeping the defense up because that's one of my concerns is that, is that I love Mike D'Antoni. I love him. I love him in Phoenix. Uh, I defended him in New York. I defended him in L.A. I, I think that he's been misunderstood when in his low points. I think he's done an amazing job in Houston. He's one of my favorite coaches to be in a scrum with. Like, 
I just think Mike's awesome. There's no way of getting around the fact that Mike doesn't want to coach defense. He just he just doesn't. There are coaches that just do not want to do that with their time. And I have a feeling that he's going to be like, you know, we don't have to worry about the defense. We know the defense is going to be good. It was good last year. These guys know what they're doing. We don't need to worry about it. We need to worry about the offense. And if he does that, they're going to slip. And a little bit of a slip is costly in a Western Conference that's this tough. And so, again, like these are these are high-variance teams, but their high ends are way higher than what the rest of, of the tier below them can do. Um, their low end is probably worse than, I think, a lot of the teams that are in the, the next tier below them. Yeah, I mean, I wonder about... Also, like, I mean, you have, you have a lot of these dynamics of... I mean, you have a lot of these dynamics of teams that do really well but don't get all the way there and so does that invigorate them or does that kind of deflate them and also then how does that fit in with with what happens in the next season so if they're saying they're going well crap that was our best shot or do they go we have we have it left in us we can we can move on and so those are are real challenges that Houston is going to have to deal with this year and Clint Capella is a good example now I think their players are so good that those situations will resolve themselves but there is that kind of downside risk especially with the changeover and like I think James Ennis is going to work out. Melo, I think, is going to have a, a meaningfully better year than he did in OKC. And I am genuinely concerned about what he'll what his limitations will be in the playoffs. But I also think D'Antoni will be more willing to move away from him than Billy Donovan was for a variety of reasons. So what does your second tier look like? So my second tier is is big. It's Boston, Toronto, Houston, Philly, Utah. Okay. And so I think you have that split in three, right? Yeah, Yeah, I have a bigger three. You got your two group. I've got a bigger three group. Okay. Um, So uh, we should talk about Utah because, like, I think I've had a real hard time with this squad. I didn't think they were going to be good last year. They started off and they weren't good. And I was like, aha! And then they got really good. And I was like, ah. But even then, there was lots of signs along the way where I was looking at the schedule and I was like, they're just not playing anybody really tough. Like they're just not beating great teams. Like they're catching the Warriors when they're resting everybody. They're catching um, teams at the right point, and I get really nervous. They're relying on Ricky Rubio's jump shot. I get really nervous. Now there were so many metrics and so many things I like about this team. Where it's like I think Donovan Mitchell's a superstar. I think Quinn Snyder is a top five coach in the league. Uh, I think Rudy Gobert is the best. Uh, is one of the best. Defensive players in the league. I like, you know, like Joe Ingles is impossible to deny. He's like one of the most impactful wing guys on the floor, which is hilarious, but also very true. Um, they make the most out of all of their fringe guys. They get the most out of them. They re- they've got good continuity. They return everybody. So I've got them above 50. I think they're going to be a really good team. They're at the top of my third tier. I still can't see a scenario where if you got rid of conference playoffs and Utah was matched against those, t- those teams, like I don't know that Utah's ceiling is as good as the teams that I put in the tiers above them. I think they're, they're, their top is as good as anybody below them, but not as good as those top four teams. Yeah, that's fair. And it's also worth noting that, I mean, you kind of have that feeling that at least what they were seeing towards the end of that year, at the end of last year, that that was close to as good as they can do. It's not like you're sitting there going, they have so much untapped potential. But then you see Donovan Mitchell, and maybe maybe he can take a big step forward. I mean, just with how, how their offense was flowing so well. And I mean, while he can get better, I'm not, Rubio did really well. I think that he'll be, you know, he, he can be that same guy again, but I don't think there's just some other wellspring that is Ricky Rubio is waiting to bust out. And so defensively, I think they're absolutely legit. But yeah, they might, this, the clarification here might be, so offensively, I think they can be top half 
half, but I I would be shocked if they were top ten, top five. Maybe they're top ten. And so if you're number one in one thing and number thirteen in the other, that's different than like where the Celtics are and where the Raptors could be, as an example. And Houston, they're 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 they might be the Bizarro Jazz in terms of being number one in offense and then being somewhere in defense. But I think you can make an argument that Houston's better there. The reason I put Utah in the spot is actually kind of ties in with expectations and everything else. It's that I feel that I underrate in the same way that I might do with the Celtics. I acknowledge it with them too. I might underrate them just because I think they're consistently outperforming their talent level. And so I just, I'm a little bit too skeptical. So with Utah, I'm kind of like, I was hedging my, I was hedging a little bit on the idea that I'm, that I'm too low on them by putting them at the bottom of this tier. And that, but at the same point, I understand that there's a risk in that. And it's the same thing with the Sixers. Like the Sixers were beating the stuffing out of teams that weren't really trying a lot of last year, but the Sixers were doing so without Joel Embiid and Simmons was awesome. And so you're kind of sitting there going, well, how do you reconcile these two things? They're beating teams. And so so you could go, reasonable people can go in different directions with that. One is they're worse than they looked, or one is, hey, they're just as good as they looked because they're getting something that is extremely important. I don't have a good answer on that, but I'm excited to see where it goes with them. And, And the other part of this, like it's important, and you and I both do this sort of concept fairly frequently, the idea that I am not wedded to this. Like I put the Celtics in in a tier below the Warriors. I put the Sixers and the Jazz in this little preliminary one in that same tier. If I end up wrong on that, I'll know probably three to four weeks into this season, those kind of basic contour things. Like for right now, are those teams there? I'm fine with moving these teams back. I am not wedded to the idea that just because I said before the season that I'm putting the Jazz and the Sixers in the same tier as all these other really, really good teams that are more established, that I have to say that for the rest of the year. No, absolutely not. If they don't earn it, they won't stay there. Right. And see, for me, I think I come from a more skeptical place inherently, which is why my top two tiers are, are so selective. A lot of the Sixers comes down to how do you interpret that 16-game winning streak at the end? That's what a lot of, I think, people are, that's like a dividing line for a lot of us is, look, man, they didn't have Joel Embiid, and they still won 16 games at the end and wound up winning in the mid-50s. How are they going to be worse? And my response there is a lot of that push was around Bellinelli and Eliasova going buck wild from three, and those guys are gone. And that's not a formula that you would believe in. If I told you, like, oh, yeah, the the Sixers are going to win 16 games in a row to close out the season behind Ben Simmons being awesome, great chemistry, uh, a week schedule, and, oh, yeah, Ersan Eliasova and Marco Bellinelli are going to go wild for them shooting threes. Everyone would be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And so – I do this a lot with teams where I go, does this make sense? Like, does this win streak that they went on, does that make intuitive sense to you? Did you, did you watch those games and go like, yeah, they're this good? Or do you just go like, wow, they won again? Because that's how I've been with this, with the, the Blazers the last couple of years. It's why I picked the Pelicans to upset the, the, the Blazers in the playoffs. You know, and, and I've gotten things wrong when I've doubted teams before all the time. That was one of the few times I've been right. But one of the reasons was because I've just seen Terry Stotts' teams rattle off these long win streaks in January and February that wind up getting them into a secure playoff spot without that actually being how good the Blazers are. So with the Sixers, I look at them and I think like, okay, are they actually this good or is this more of like they happen to get there and that's like great for them, but there's probably some regression coming. Their Pythagorean expectation last year was 55, which is great. Like the numbers held up that they should have won as many as they did. I still don't feel necessarily like they're going to be as good. I think their variance will be higher. I think the inexperience will hurt them. I think Markel Fultz is going to be a great player, but I do think that there's 
um, a chance that that inclusion kind of jump, gums up the works. Um, and Bede's probably going to miss some stretch of the season. Like, it's just reasonable to expect that uh, he's got some knee soreness, so he's going to sit out a week or two. Um, that's going to happen from time to time. So I've basically had to make peace with the fact that I'm going to decide to be lower on the Sixers than most people are. I actually do not have them. You're going to be shocked at this one. I don't have them with home court. I think they win 50 games, it's but possible. I don't think they get home court. Yeah, I don't think they get home court in the Eastern Conference. So I'm a little bit lower on the Sixers just from a, I got to see what you look like when things are normalized. Like, it's great that you won when things were chaotic. I need to see what you look like in a normal environment to get a healthy idea of how good you are. Yeah, and it's it's totally reasonable for us to be like, I'm on the high side with them, you're on the low side with them. But I think our evaluation of the Sixers as a team is probably pretty close. It's just how do you how do you interpret that set of facts? And it was such a strange year for them. I mean, you think about all the incorporation that they had of new players. And one other thing that was weird for me, something that people might remember is that the Sixers, throughout the process years and all that, they were horrible in close games. A lot of that was because their talent wasn't very good. And it's a little bit weird to me that they did that again last year. So they un- part of the reason they underperformed, you talked about their Pythagorean expectations, they were not particularly great in close games last year. And that is a little bit of a concern just because you look at the this team and yeah they can lock in defensively but will they stagnate offensively in those moments it's a little bit of a concern and when you're talking about team quality that stuff does matter like I think that was a big concern against the Celtics like the Celtics were able to stifle them and I do believe that this that Marco Fultz can help with that just getting another year under the belt almost all of their important players I think will be are on the positive side of the age curve meaning that you expect them to be better or similar and that's a good thing but what does that mean? And so one of my favorite questions this year that isn't getting talked about enough, and it ties in with two teams that I have in this tier, which you do not, which is Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons both were way better than you would than you would basically ever expect rookies to be. And I'm not, not gonna... a rookie, not a rookie, not a no, I'm just kidding. And so what does that mean? Because generally players who do really well when they're young they end up doing really well when they're older. Doesn't always happen. There are players like Drummond is a good example of this, but Drummond's a a much different player than those guys because he doesn't have the ball in his hands. But so was that those guys basically hitting the ground running and just being good early? Or are they just these all-star, superstar, megastar type talents? And if that's what they are, this will tie in with the team I have at the top of the next tier, then we have to recalibrate what we think their teams are. Because if Donovan Mitchell is an all-star, if he's potentially an all-NBA guy in the next, let's say, two years, all of a sudden the, the Jazz look very, very different. Because then it's like, oh, you have an elite offense and maybe he can get them, let's say, a top 10, a top, elite defense. Let's say you can get them to a top 10 offense. Well, crap, then they're one of the best teams in the league. And if the Warriors take a step back next year, then, then maybe they're really in the mix. And we'll see what happens with the Celtics. Same thing with Ben Simmons. Like, yeah, there are there are always these limitations that get put on guys who can't shoot because they should because there there are limitations, but they could still be incredible players. And so, like if Simmons Simmons was one of the best players in the league for a lot of last the second half of last year, if that's who he is, then all of a sudden the Sixers are a very different thing. So I think that's part of the reason why I put both those teams higher. Is I'm not expecting those lofty things. I'm not expecting those guys to to make that kind of a jump. But I'm open to the possibility, even if it is a possibility, not a probability. Yeah. My third tier uh, is big, and it's Utah, Milwaukee, Indiana, the Sixers, the Nuggets, the Thunder, and the Pelicans. And those teams are defined by, if you told me that they made a a conference finals, 
I would be like, oh, wow, they had a really great year. I wouldn't be like, what? I wouldn't be stunned. I wouldn't be taken aback. I wouldn't be aghast. I wouldn't be like, how did that happen? I would just be like, oh, wow, like they really hit everything that they're capable of. What a great year for them. That I, I don't think they have a realistic shot at making the finals, but I think they have a realistic shot at making a conference finals and being a conference finals caliber team, which means like, you know, the Utah Jazz in 07 made a conference finals on the back of the Warriors upset the Mavericks and the Jazz got the Warriors in the second round and the Warriors were fun, but not really a serious team. And so the Jazz beat them. And so that's how they made it to face the Spurs in the conference finals. They weren't actually a conference finals team, really good squad, not a conference finals team, uh, that 07 Jazz team. So, but these are teams that realistically, if like, if they're able to reach what is their absolute ceiling, they can make a conference finals. Um, and I can believe in that. And they can be a conference finals worthy team. And I could see all of those teams to varying degrees getting to that level. And now that's like a weak conference finals team versus a strong conference finals team. Like if the Jazz made the conference finals versus the Warriors, it's like this could actually be really interesting. Like if the Jazz are, are that good and they've figured out this many pieces and they've learned from last year and they're better, this could be really interesting. But, the, you know, versus the Nuggets, like if the Nuggets make a conference finals, it's like, oh, it's time to like throw a party, like throw a parade in Denver because a really many one that no one would attend because it's just like, wow, like they were able to beat teams uh, that should have been maybe better than them ahead of them. And they were able to get there. Like they, they really out, outperformed expectations. So it's not even necessarily that you expect to make a conference finals. It's that that would be a really good result that you can reasonably see happening. And, and that's why I've got Jazz, Pacers, Sixers, Nuggets, Thunder, Pelicans, Bucks in there. So I did a little bit of a different separation. And so for me, part of, so I had an overly inclusive tier two. So then my line for basically tier two and tier three was about kind of trust. And so the teams that I, all the teams I had below them, both like the ones that you mentioned and everyone that is be- below them are teams that I have bigger question marks about. And so then how I separated out my tier three and my tier four was it wasn't as much about trust because I don't trust any of these teams, but it was about where I kind of, res- I think it was respecting the ceiling. Is So kind of tying in with, the, with yeah. the conference finals things. And so for me, it's three teams. One is the Milwaukee Bucks. And so mm-hmm. the Bucks are the this year's ultimate test case for the importance of coaching. Like I thought last year they got so saddled with a, a defensive scheme that didn't make sense with their personnel offense that didn't really make sense with their personnel and they went from jason kidd who i nate and i were recording a podcast calling him the worst coach in the league when he got fired prunty didn't really change it too much i don't blame prunty necessarily for that it's very hard as as an interim coach to totally change a team especially mid-season but they didn't and so now they have that budenholzer is i think a very good coach he has some flaws that i don't love but i mean he's certainly a lot better and I think that the talent they added will help, you know, like adding Brooke Lopez to the center mix. That means if John Henson disappoints, they have another option. If Thon Maker disappoints, they have another option. Arisano Ulisova, I think will give them more during the regular season than Jabari Parker did. That's not exactly a high bar because Parker only played in like 30 games and he has his Jabari Parker limitations. I'm guessing we'll talk about him later, but the Bucks have all this stuff, but I'm not sure that it's going to work out because there are all these question marks. Eric Bledsoe is a really obvious one. I mean, he had kind of a weird year last year. Maybe that was adjusting to kid. He got traded in season. It's another argument against the Jimmy Butler thing, you know, like that there are a lot of adjustments that you resolve in training camp and all that. But because of Bledsoe's barbershop fiasco, we, we got into got into all that kind of stuff. So with the Bucks, 
they could, to me, they could be in that tier above, but I don't feel as confident in that possibility as I do for the Sixers and the Jazz. Then the other two teams in this, I saw elements of it that were there, but they had injuries last year. So one of them is the Timberwolves with Jimmy Butler. I think that team, you know, when they when they had it together, they were legit. I mean, even though their defense wasn't all the way there, they have some, I think they could be better there. And then their offense was, even though I thought it was a little bit bizarre, it worked and there's no reason to believe that it couldn't work again. And then Denver, when Millsap was playing, and you would you can speak to them better than I can, but I love their offense. I think they can absolutely succeed there. And then defensively, it's kind of this idea of cobble enough together to make it work. And so like I have them over teams like the Thunder and the Pels because of that ceiling play. And New Orleans is an interesting ceiling one because we don't know exactly what this team is yet. But the Thunder, I don't trust as much that everything's going to work for them. They can be great defensively. The Nuggets can be great offensively. And I don't necessarily trust it with them with OKC because personnel is a big issue. And this isn't as much about Robertson missing more time or anything like that. It's just that they don't have as many options if things don't work out. If now, like, I mean, this came up when I was actually on this podcast when Kevin Pelton was just brought up casually. He's like, oh, yeah, and Jeremy Grant's going to be their fifth starter. I hadn't even really thought about that yet. I like Jeremy Grant. I like him quite a bit. But if Jeremy Grant doesn't work, maybe they'll try Patrick Patterson. I think he will have a bounce back season. But if it's not him, then you're saying they're going, well, is it going to be like Abdel Nader? Or like now they're trying like Hamadou Diallo potentially like as a big time guy in the rotation. It's possible that works. I like Hamadou Diallo a fair amount for where he was drafted. But I'm just not as sold on them. And so it's like, I, I felt like I had to draw some line, and that was the line I drew. Uh, I was higher on the Thunder before a series of disasters struck them. Like the Westbrook arthroscopic surgery, I initially kind of like brushed off and then did some more certain like research on it. And there's been a noticeable decline in performance um, in the year of, of arthroscopic knee surgery. I've seen a lot of those, but there is going to be a little bit of drop off, I think, in performance. And if he's not willing to adapt to that and share the ball more, which he's shown no inclination of, it's going to be rough. I still think they're going to be great defensively, but there's also no sign of when Robertson's going to be back. And until Robertson gets back, they're not going to be in elite defense. Now, I think part of this, though, is like if we're looking at the entire season, they may not be. I do think that by March and April, I, I think what's probably going to happen is the Thunder are going to struggle. They're going to be above 500, but not impressive. There's going to be like, oh, is there trouble in paradise? There's going to be all these conversations about them because Russ is polarizing. And then Robertson's going to get back. They're going to get everybody healthy. They're going to start clicking. I think in March and April, we're going to be like, oh, very quietly, the Thunder have won 8 of 10. Oh, very quietly, the Thunder have won 12 of the last 14. It's just going to be this thing where they start rattling off wins and like, oh, over the last month, the Thunder have an absurd net rating. And they're going to be super hot going into the playoffs. And it could make for really good things. Versus last year, which was the opposite, which is like they struggled early. They lost a lot of close games. They really honestly should have won. A lot of it was just bad breaks. Like Some of it was bad execution. Some of it was just bad breaks. Um, they got together in December, in the last half of November, and in December, and then in January. And then Robertson got hurt. And that that threw everything into chaos. And this year, I think without Melo, they'll be better. I think that you're going to see a bigger role for Steven Adams, who they have a lot of confidence in. Uh, they're going to be better. So I, I think that OKC, and people do forget this, that like Westbrook has become so polarizing. We really take for granted, like, look, when you have a guy that's putting in that kind of production, as much as you may hate it, as much as you may hate watching it, as much as he may be selfish in a ball hog or whatever else you want to say about him, if you have a guy putting in 30 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists, the production winds up making an impact no matter how he gets there. Like, production does matter. There are empty stats, guys. I believe in this. I think Westbrook toes that line sometimes. 
but his level of production is so extreme, it winds up making an impact. It's a difference when it's, you know, 30-12-7 versus 28-5. His level of production exceeds stuff to where even if he's if his efficiency struggles, that could be there. And then there's, like, the high point of them, which is, like, Westbrook comes back and realizes, like, like if he has the, the heart-to-heart with Paul George and is like, you came back here, you really believe in this, you're going to be my running partner – I want to empower you, and he makes the whole offense better, then they could really take off. The Thunder's variance along with the Nuggets and a lot of these other teams is, I think, very high. Uh, you talked about Milwaukee. Uh, I had them high. I was high on them going into the year, and then I went to Milwaukee three days for three days last week, and talking to everyone around the team, I just can't tell you how much I'm driving the hype train. Like, it's just, I got to contain myself. I got to take a cold shower. It's bad, man. Like, Giannis looks so insane physically. He just looks absurd physically. He's so, like, buck wild big, just muscled and chiseled. They're talking about him being more confident shooting, which that's a bigger deal to me than, oh, he's making a lot, is he's willing to be a threat. And if you're willing to be a threat, that honestly matters more to opening up the defense for other opportunities than making him does. His passing has really impressed everybody. Brooke Lopez has stood out from everybody being like, he's a really good passer, which if you watched him, you know, the interior defense, they're going to have rim protection because Lopez is an underrated guy there. Even if he's not the most mobile dude, they have the ability to switch effectively and recover with the kind of athleticism they have. Uh, Chris Middleton's coming off a down year and is resolved to get his numbers back where they need to be going into a contract season. I love the stuff I've heard about from Budenholz. Like, there's just I'm super high on them. I went from them from 48 wins. I bumped them up to 51. That's a three win jump, which I almost never do in preseason based off of being around them. And maybe if I gone to every camp, I would have bumped everybody up three wins. But I'm uh, I'm pretty impressed with where Milwaukee's at, and I'm super high on them going into the year. And it's amazing what what could happen with just a more cogent scheme and also yep. the development. I mean, because you think, but just how how many talented players there are on this team? I mean, Giannis. Could be the MVP this year. I think he has a, a very decent shot. I haven't fully reconciled that yet. I still have a few days to figure to do my predictions and everything like that. But defensively, there's so much ground that they can make up. They have a lot of talent. They're deeper, I think, than some people think, which they're not deep in terms of like if a starter gets hurt, somebody can come in and replace them, but they're, they can pull it out a capable second unit. And I think that's an important step for a team. And also having Brogdon, if he can bounce back and have a, have a, a better year would, would really, really help them. And they will have to figure some of these things out. And, and there are some questions. That's why I don't have them in the tier. But yeah, I mean, I could see them absolutely putting it together. Like that, that, there is no doubt for me that that is a possibility. They're just an absolutely fascinating team, and they are on the very, very, very short list of my top league pass teams for the start of the year. And it's amazing how many of those teams are in the Eastern Conference. Some of that's because of, there was a lot of turnover towards the top. Like, I want to see what the Celtics look like because now they actually have their guys back, hopefully. And the Raptors are my number one team to start the year because I have so many questions and I like figuring these things out. But Milwaukee is is just kind of in that tier as well where we get to learn a lot. I'm going to focus a lot on them in the early part of the season. Also want to take a minute to tell you about our friends at betonline.ag. And awesomely enough, I get to start this with something new because it's something new to happen. I, I won the prediction challenge for last week. And what betonline.ag is doing, which I think is so cool, is they're giving credit so five listeners can get $100 in, in credit on betonline.ag. All you have to do is send me a tweet using the hashtag SportsNetChallenge, S-P-O-R-T-S-N-E-T-C-H-A-L-L-E-N-G-E, 
and your account name, and I will go through those, and five listeners will find $100 in free credits in their accounts, so you can get those tweets in now. And on top of that, if you don't have a BetOnline account yet, you just create one at BetOnline.ag, use that promo code PODCAST1, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-O-N-E, and you get a 50% sign-up bonus on top of that. So you can sign up for the account, then send me the tweet. Either way, I don't have a specific timeline on this yet, but, you know, try to keep it pretty timely here. And again, betonline.ag, set up your account, tweet me at, just tweet me and then include the hashtag SportsNetChallenge. You have to do that. And five listeners will get $100 in credits, which is absolutely awesome. You can also check out betonline.ag and use that podcast one promo code to make games more interesting, to show how smart you are and check it out. I mean, so thanks so much to them for doing this challenge. Really happy that I did well enough to give this benefit to listeners and check it out. I think we can move on though to kind of drawing the next line. And so I'll start because this is where I have my big group. And so I don't label every tier, but where I, what I describe this group as is they're absolutely playoff caliber. So I'm not really worried about whether they can be a playoff team, whether they will or not depends on health, because that's just, we're in that part of this, this game now, but where I would expect them to be a lower seed. And so again, this isn't, this is about team quality more than, more than that, but that's, that's the kind of team they are not necessarily about their seeding. And so for me, this group, it's big, the Pacers, the Lakers, the Thunder, the Pelicans, the Wizards, the Blazers, and the Heat. I feel a little bit weird about having the bottom teams in this group because they don't necessarily have the same kind of expected value, but I'm still a little bit uncomfortable with the Pacers, the Lakers, and the Thunder, and the Pels just because they, in their current iterations, haven't proven it all the way, you know, like over multiple years or anything like that, depending on the team. So I totally understand. Like, it seems like you've kind of separated out that group. Like, I get that. I probably... In, in my brain, I kind of go, well, shit, I should have done that. But it's kind of teams that I like their talent and teams that I'm just not all the way there yet. So I put them together. Yeah, I've got it at um, my, my gap. My gap is a little bit different because basically this is where I, I call this one the messy middle um, because these are teams where if you tell me they're a playoff team, I'm like, all right, that makes sense. That's no, that's no surprise. You told me, oh, like they just missed the playoffs by a game or two. Okay, they did not. I don't expect any of these teams necessarily to advance past the first round. Um, I don't expect any of these teams to advance past the first round, which is not going to be possible um, given the East-West distribution, probably. But it's the Lakers, the Spurs, the Wizards, the Pistons, the Blazers, the Grizzlies, the Heat, the Cavs, the Wolves, and the Clippers. Uh, I'm factoring the Wolves without without Jimmy. I'm not expecting them to get. That's with them not getting good return. Like if they get Jason Rich, like if they, if the Heat crack and give them Josh Richardson and Bam Adebayo, uh, if they get both those guys, which they won't, but if they were to get that kind of a deal, I would definitely bump them. But for what I'm expecting them to get, uh, I've got them in this tier. And, and even honestly, if they did get those guys, I'd probably keep them here. You know, the Lakers are the best team at the top of this group, just because they have LeBron. Um, but I just can't talk myself into them being considerably better it's weird to have the spurs here i want to put them in a higher tier of like oh no they can make a conference finals but i just i can't see the spurs making the conference finals this year which is really shocking um for a team that's been as good as they have but i mean you look at the roster and the injuries well dejante is DeJounte's DeJounte. a big factor here like i i had the spurs a tier higher and then moved them down because yeah. dejante for two reasons one is he's a really good player and they have to replace him but also just the cascading effects because now in terms of guys that can reliably create shots for themselves and others it's DeRozan, LaMarcus, sort of Patty Mills and then there are other guys who might be able to step into that but haven't really and now Manu's 
d- retirement makes an even bigger difference because they just don't have that many guys. And so I could, I mean, the Spurs, I've been using the phrase on dunked on a lot of Spurs magic, like the idea that Pop and the coaching staff there have made, like this team to me dramatically outperformed their defensive talent last year. And like that was really what propelled them to the success they had. Well, their defensive talent to me is significantly worse this year than it was last year. So if they can do it again, by all means, I, I'm not discounting that possibility. But now with DeJounte out, that argument gets even harder because he was just spectacular last year defensively. And offensively, he was figuring it out, but they had other options. So they might put it together. I feel, you know, it's been weird to move down on the Spurs during the offseason, but I think there's a reason for it. A good way I kind of think of this one, too, is um, while they're all in one group together, the top teams in this group, the Lakers, the Spurs, the Wizards, the Pistons, and the Blazers, those teams are teams that you feel like they should honestly be in a tier above. Like that, it's bad that they're not in a tier above, and that probably means that they need to change something. Spurs, Wizards, uh, Blazers, most of, most of the league especially. Like those teams need to really think about what their core is and where they're going and the direction of the franchise because uh, they should be in a level higher versus the back end of this, of this group, Grizzlies, Heat, Cavs, Wolves, Clippers. It's like, oh, it's a good thing that you're in this group. Like there's, there's enough good about you that like there's a good case for you to be worse but you're here because you have enough good things going for you. So it's very much a glass half empty, glass half full kind of group. Yeah, that's true. And there are questions, like this is another, this is a great place. You called it the messy middle. That will be clarified a lot over the first, let's say month of the season, something like that, because some of these teams will be good. Some of them won't. And we just have to figure it out. And so, yeah, for me, so like the bottom of my tier was the Wizards, the Blazers, and the Heat, which is a little bit a little bit different. But I mean, with all those teams, you kind of know what they are if they have it together, but you're just a little bit uncomfortable with it. So with Washington, as you talked about earlier, and it's just like, how often are they actually going to be at their best? And then with the Blazers, can they stay healthy again? Like, that's the biggest thing that's happened with them the last couple of years is that while they yeah. haven't been 100% healthy, Dame and CJ have largely been on the floor. And a lot of these other teams, Memphis being the most obvious one, just have been missing guys for periods of time. And so that makes it. And Miami, if they get Jimmy, probably pushes it up. But I don't I, I don't know exactly how he would get their team if that happens. And we obviously don't know about that possibility and who they would give up, which is the other important factor here. So all of them, though, again, this gets into the idea of confidence. So my dividing line, so I had the Wizards, Blazers, and Heat in this tier. And then my next tier down was what I called possible but not definite, where it's like there is an easy argument to, to say that they're playoff caliber or that they can, can put in there, but I'm not sure of it. And so for me, that group is, and this includes the Spurs now, it didn't before or we heard about DeJounte, is the Clippers, the Hornets, the Spurs, the Pistons, and then I have Minnesota here without Jimmy Butler because the idea being that even, I would probably have them even one tier down if they basically got nothing for him, but they're obviously going to get something for him. So I figure that it'll work out at least a little bit. I think one of the things that's interesting here is that you delineated by playoff contention. But it, it, was to, more, it was more playoff caliber than playoff right, contention. Right, no, that's, that's a better way to play, playoff caliber. And, and a lot of that is like, it's, it's a funny way to think about it because we do want to think about it. Like, oh, they were a playoff team last year. Because I tracked these races the last month of the season so intently and everyone has kind of gone to me as being the guy that... Like talked about tiebreakers and magic numbers. Like I've just I've realized really clearly that there's just very little difference between like the, there are definitely. Well, yeah, I mean Denver's a great example of that yeah. too. Like right, like Denver was was pretty much just as good a team as Portland, <laughs> the third seed last year, and all the way through, like they were as good as any of those teams. They won one fewer game for a lot of reasons, which were some on them and some not their fault. And uh, so like this group to me includes a lot of teams where it's like. Their outcome is probably going to be the same. Their peak is going to be about the same, which is 
they're capable on, on a given night of looking really good, and they're capable on a given night of just frustrating you into oblivion. I think we're going to find out with all these teams. The Clippers are a great example of that. Where I think there going to be nights where the Clippers win, and you're just like, why are you like? How did you win this game? How on earth did you win this game? And then there are going to be nights where you're just like, okay, you beat this team. Why do you look so trash now? Like, what is you? The, these teams are all going to be simultaneously exciting at times. I think when they're really looking like their best, and yet that's only going to serve to frustrate more when they don't play to that level, and to a greater degree than maybe the rest of the teams in the league. Yeah, I think you're, you're, the frustration part of it is, is a good way of thinking about it. Charlotte, to me, was was that team last year. I mean, they were just so bad in weird ways. So, I mean, they, their bench was just a train wreck for the first probably like three and a half, four months of the season. And so you're just sitting there going like, why are you losing all these games? You shouldn't be losing all these games. And I think Kemba had a, had a nice year. Like it, it was just kind of lost the shovel. And then they were also really bad in close games too. And so you had those two factors going in there. And like Charlotte, I mean, in terms of talent level, they could easily be a tier above for me. But also there's the question mark of will they keep Kemba and everything else. And I think that's a good way of thinking about, yeah, my tier is the, the, the frustration five or something would be just teams that can put it together. The Clippers are weird also because I don't think they have a super high like ceiling in terms of dominance, but I could see them winning a bunch of games just because they're yep. deep. They're yep. well coached. They have a lot of guys that could just like have a nice night like Lou Williams. I mean, he can just score a bunch on anybody. And because they, the other thing that's different with the Clippers, and this is a really hard job for Doc. It's very different than his job last year, which was basically just like cobbling together guys who can actually get on the floor is will he be flexible enough to play the hot hand consistently? So like Lou Williams is a great example of this. Like will Lou Williams get the latitude to play a lot when he's on? And then if there's a night when it's not going as well to go to Avery Bradley and Patrick Beverly and Tobias Harris and all that type of stuff, because they have a lot of options and a lot of options can be a really good thing, but it can also be perilous because those guys, especially in the difference between them and let's say like the Nets, the Nets also have a lot of options. Their options are worse, which is why they're in a lower tier. But with the Clippers, a lot of them are established veterans. And so you're kind of seeing they're going, are they really going to be cool with this? Like, are they going to be okay with it? And the other question there is, I, I really like Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I think he'll be, I liked what I saw with him in summer league, the limited amount I've seen of him in preseason I liked. But if he is established as a part of the guard rotation, which they should do for their long term, how does that sit with whoever gets squeezed out because of it? If Because, I mean, rookies generally, like, I don't think that Shea is necessarily going to outplay that guy, whether that's Avery Bradley getting fewer minutes that he thinks he should get, or it's maybe Lou Williams or something else, or one of their threes. I don't know how Doc's going to manage their rotation. But that's it's always hard to manage, and I think Doc is very good at that, but it's still really hard. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons that uh, Patrick Beverly's name keeps popping up with Phoenix, is I think that's a reasonable deal for both sides that would fix a lot of problems. You know, one thing I think with the Clippers is they have so many guys, they're hard for me because they have so many guys that I just like, I I kind of dismissively wave at. Like, I'm just like, all right, whatever. Like the Boban thing, like I'm not in on the Boban thing where everyone freaks out. Like last night he had 14, 15, 2. And everyone's like, oh, if he plays 20 minutes this year, it's like, he's not going to. That's not going to happen. He hasn't played, he has played in 54 games or less in every season of his career. Last season, he averaged like eight minutes per game. He They tried him out in one game versus the Nuggets, which essentially, like, that was another game you could point to and say that's where the Nuggets lost their playoff spot. But like, he comes out like four times a year, has an incredible game, and then can't go again. Like, it's just a dude that big, his conditioning, he can't stand the game. 
Doc knows it. Doc knows he can't use him in all situations. He's very selective in when he uses it. And, like, Boban's just not going to be a high-usage guy. Like, Lou Williams, like, he had an incredible season last year. Okay, he had the season. Great for him. Good for him. Got paid. Got a reasonable deal. They didn't overpay. Okay. But, like, he's still Lou Williams. Good. Good player, really good score. He's still Lou Williams, and so like I have a hard time getting excited about this team. But you're right, like they're just gonna win games. Like, just, they are. They have a combination of guys to be able to win games. There's guys, guys I really like on it. Like I love Tobias Harris. I love love Montrezl Harrell. Uh, I like Shay a lot. I think Shay looks great. I think uh, like Avery Bradley, I still think is capable, even though the defensive metrics have kind of revealed him to be a little smoke and mirrors. Like there's a lot of guys in this team that I genuinely think are good. But yeah, trying to figure out what their their kind of ceiling is is really difficult for me. Uh, my next tier, I have uh, just below them, and they're it's like the close but no cigar uh, tier, and it's the Mavericks, the Hornets, and the Nets. It's just three teams. Where I think the Mavericks are the best team of this t- of this group. I think that they're going to bust past their over under. I think they're going to be exciting and fun to watch, but I think they're too young uh, at some levels and too old at others with not enough goodness in the middle. I think their bench is really curious. I think they play in a tough division and a tough conference. I don't think they'll, they'll be good enough. The Hornets, at this point, honestly, the Hornets, I'm just like trying to fade myself because last year I was like, well, they got to be better. Like they were, they went 0 and 9 in games decided by three points or less last year. They have to be better than that. Yeah, they went 1 and 5 last year. Like, they're now 1-14 in 14 the past two seasons in games decided by three points or less. Uh, coaching change probably mixes that up, but I don't know if it, it mixes it for good or bad. We don't have enough to know uh, how he's going to do there. I don't know what their situation is going to look like, if they're going to keep the roster together, or if the young guys start to shine and they move Batum or MKG or what they do. I love how Miles Bridges has looked in preseason. So this team's going in a lot of different directions, and I don't tend to like those kind of teams to win to be very good. So I think the Hornets will be like, oh, they're a solid team, they're a pain, but they're not good enough to be really be serious. And then the Nets I have on the low end, I just feel like the Nets on any given night can beat anybody. They're one of the best teams against the spread last year. Um, hashtag Action Network. But like, they're not going to be able to consistently win games at a high enough level. I don't know if they'll tank. They have a lot of incentive to, but I don't know if they'll do that. I think they're going to be a huge pain in the ass. And that's that's also another like description for this is these three teams I think are going to be a huge pain in the ass on any given night. You might be able to beat them, but you're going to have to bring a pretty good effort or they're going to catch you. Yeah, and, and sometimes these teams end up being grouped together because they have like a similar personality trait, and I can definitely see that there. And like I kind of have that with the, the teams that I have in that a little bit of a different con- contribution with the Clippers and the Spurs and, and all that, where teams, they'll catch the catch number point. My next tier down, I actually have the Nets a little bit further further down than you do, partially just because I don't know if they have that lead guy, which is a little bit of a concern, which is funny because my, so my, I have a very small tier six where I say like, basically the idea is that they could be playoff caliber, but I don't expect it. And so that group to me, it's only two teams and it's Memphis and Dallas. And so with Memphis, the argument is Connelly and Gasol, if they go back to what they were when they were fully healthy, their depth is intriguing. I don't think it's great, but it's intriguing. They have guys that they can throw in there. Kyle Anderson helps solidify their kind of perimeter rotation. And then they have, you know, a more capable perimeter rotation than before. And they have some depth. And then with Dallas, it's just like, basically, if Carlisle can make this group sing, which I think is an entire, is, is a possibility, DeAndre Jordan should help as well, that they can get there. So for me, like, I have them in a, a little bit of a different group. So I don't trust them nearly as much as the teams above them. But when you get into the mix, and I'll just lay out my next year too, where I have, where I call that plausible, like that they could be. And the plausible group is the Cavs, the Nets, the Suns, and the Magic for me, where mm. 
I could see it. You know, it's I'm not I'm not foreclosing on the possibility. They're not the dregs. Those teams we'll get to in a little bit. But they're going to need a lot to go right. And that's probably in all of those cases for those for that next group of four going to be that their talent is better than I think it is and their coaching is better than I think it is. And that's possible for all four of them. But it's going to need to be a lot. And so like with the Cavs, that's, you know, the, their, their talent is going to have to fit in. The Nets, if they don't have that kind of alpha dog that they're they're in a lot of those games that they just win more of them than they have previously. The Suns, Kokoshkov is probably going to be the key there and Devin Booker taking a big step. And then Orlando, that their defense is actually legit and Clifford really helps and all that. So I don't expect those teams to make that sort of a push, but I'm not closing the door on it. Yeah, I have Cleveland and Memphis higher. You know, Memphis, there's two kind of key arguments to it. One is, you know, if you look at Memphis versus Dallas, because I wrestled with this about how close they were. And what I finally came out to was, okay, we have two players on Memphis that are, or at least were the last time that they were in a, in a good spot. We're all-star caliber. Like Mike Conley was never going to be an all-star because he plays in the West, but he's all-star caliber. Marcus All, obviously, multiple-time all-star. He's all-star caliber. And they have so they have two guys to Dallas is zero who are all-star caliber, and that matters to me. The other thing is talking to Memphis people. Um, I want to be very clear on this. This is not related to actual intelligence because there are a lot of guys that are really smart at basketball that are just do not have it together in their real lives. And there's guys there, vice versa. The Grizzlies really felt last year that they were basketball dumb. They felt like a lot of guys on their team just weren't very smart in terms of how to win basketball games. They had talent, but they didn't have very many smart basketball dudes. That's one of the reasons that they went to where they did. They're really impressed with Triple J, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s, with 3J's, uh, with his maturity and his sense for the game. They got Kyle Anderson essentially because of that. They were tired of cycling through wings that didn't know what they were doing, so they went out and they paid for a 24-year-old wing that knows what he's doing. Mike, Mike Conley's obviously really smart on the court. Mark Gasol's obviously really smart on the court. Uh, both those guys are really smart on and off the floor. So they have a bunch of guys now that are savvy and smart dudes that can make plays, and that combination with those plus what they're expected to, they don't – I think their spacing issue is going to be better than it has been the last couple of years. So I have a little bit more more confidence. If Memphis were to win 25 games, I wouldn't be shocked. Like, Mark's probably traded at that point. Everything's a disaster. It wouldn't completely shock me. I have a little bit more confidence. In Cleveland, um, I've really liked how they've looked in preseason. I, I have been really impressed with how they've looked in preseason, and I don't get moved by much of preseason. But the fact that they're pushing the pace, they're moving the ball, there's a real sense there, I think, of them wanting to prove something about what they were, how they were viewed with LeBron. And I've been thinking a lot about that because my initial reaction was to kind of dog them because I was like, ooh, the post-LeBron year, that's rough. Like we saw that with Cleveland uh, the first time. We saw that with Miami. It was really hard that year after. Like talking to guys, it was kind of this unspoken thing where it was just like, yeah, you're just not really playing for much anymore. And I was really worried about that. But like seeing how they're – like there's a real sense with Cleveland of guys being like, we were good NBA players before we got here. And we were still good NBA players and just because we were under this huge microscope, having to play, being judged against one of the greatest teams of all time does not mean that we are garbage, especially when you're in such a limited role because of LeBron. Um, so I have a little bit of hope for them. And like, I want to be optimistic on them. I want to believe in good things. Cleveland, though, I think is a team that also, I want to see how they respond to adversity. That I think is going to be the question is if they hit a three game losing, losing streak. And they have, does that extend into a six game? Does it, do things start to get bad? Do they start pointing fingers? Do guys disengage? Those are the kind of questions I have for them. Still have more to talk about with Matt Moore, mostly on the bottom of the league, but I want to take a moment to tell you about Pluto TV. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. And 
My personal favorite thing about Pluto is that not only do they never ask you for a credit card, which is great enough for a, you know, for a free thing. They don't even have that as a hoop to jump through. You don't even need to sign up to watch for free. So you can definitely check it out. It's also available on so many devices, including Roku, Amazon Fire TV, PlayStation, Apple TV, Smart TV. And you can do it on your computer as well. That's how I've checked it out before. And a really nice platform, great way to, to check out this content. And that makes it the easy and completely legal, which is also important for me, way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies for free. So what are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again by downloading Pluto TV. Also a message from our friends at TrueCar. These days, news travels lightning fast, which is great if you're a sports fan. Between status updates, breaking news notifications, and Twitter feeds, you can always be up to the minute on every team and every game. While this is great for sports, it is the opposite when it comes to buying a car. Go online and you are bombarded with numbers. Invoice, list price, dealer price. It is hard to know how to recognize a good price. Not anymore. Introducing True Price from True Car. It is the only price you need to know because it is exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories. How do you know if your True Price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for that same car you want so you know how to recognize a good price. And your certified dealers know this, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. My next tier, after the Mavericks, Hornets, Nets tier, this is where we started getting into the bad teams. This is where it's just like, the just they're just plain old bad. Not horrible, just plain old bad. Magic, Bulls, Suns, Kings. And the Suns, I want, like, I have a lot of stock in their young core, but that just doesn't mean wins. I think the Suns are going to be really entertaining. I think the Suns are going to be really fun to watch. I think the Suns are going to be great for your DFS teams. I just don't think the Suns are going to win many, many games. I just think they have too many holes in knowledge base and knowing how to win. And I don't think Trevor Ariza can fill that hole for them. I think that the instability with them losing their, their general manager before the season is not great. It could help. Ryan McDonough had issues with personnel. I, I'm I'm hopeful for how Igor does, but there's a lot I don't know about with them. And with teams that were bad before that are super young that I don't know about, I go on the weak side. The Bulls are fascinating, and I, I wanted to ask you about them because – I'm heavily on their over on their under. I think they're going to be terrible. I think they're going to be an awful team. This is going to be the worst defensive team in the league, point blank, period, end dot. They will be the worst team in the league defensively. I have no question about that. Do you know that the most money for the over-unders early on, I got to check in for how it's been the last week with the things ramping up, but the most money through the start of this month was on Chicago's over? The Sharps have been hammering Chicago's over to where it jumped up two and a half wins. That's fascinating. Uh, yeah, I'm guessing was that before Lowry Marketing got hurt, or was it? Yeah, before. Okay, I, I mean, so, so you see that. Well, Chicago, Chicago is so bizarre because they have some guys that I really like, but I think there's there's this issue, and I'm going to write about this at some point, not related to them. I'm focusing it on somebody else, but the idea of what they will be versus what they are, and so like they're a lot. Like Wendell Carter is a great example of this. I really like what Wendell Carter is going to be. He was my breakout guy from summer league. I just had these questions about whether he how he was going to move and his reaction. I, I, I liked his intelligence, but I just wondered the combination of intelligence but limited athleticism is concerning, but the combination of, of intelligence and better athleticism is, is valuable. And so he made that jump. But the fact of the matter is basically no super young bigs are really, really good. Like that's just not the way that this works unless you're, let's say Shaq or something like that. But even, even those type of guys often struggle a little bit relative to what they will eventually become. 
So they they have a few guys like that, and then they also like the, you're, you're right on their defense, hundred percent. Like their defense is is going to be awful. And as much as Fred Hoiberg might want to have some sort of identity and they want to do all this stuff, it's like you have a, a certain amount of bad defenders. There's not much you can do about it. I mean. Zach Levine has been an awful defender his entire career. Jabari Parker has been an awful defender his entire career, except for one half of one playoff game. Markkanen has some potential, but he's more of like a support defender rather than a lead defender. And so if you're playing him and Jabari together, then you don't have an answer there. And Chris Dunn can't do it all by himself. So I'm not sure they'll necessarily be the absolute worst in the league. I have a feeling they will be among the worst. And I think what's going to happen with them offensively, and this might go towards the over because as I, as I recall, it was, it was a pretty low line to start with. Not that I disagreed with it. It was just on the low side was there will be nights because of their offensive capability that they will end up putting up numbers and winning, winning some of those games because Jabari gets buckets. Zach Levine gets buckets. Larry Markin will get buckets and, and their centers can, can put it together. And Chris Dunn will have some hot nights. He's had, he had some really good nights last year and so I think they'll be surprising in some games, and they'll end up pull, they'll end up winning some of those. And so that might be some of the logic is that teams that have a lot of explosiveness offensively end up pulling some games out that they probably shouldn't. Denver's done this in the past. Other uh, various other teams have at, at moments in, in time, but their defense is just so bad. I mean, it, it's it's going to be awful. And one of the big concerns I have for Chicago, and this is something I don't think goes into over unders as much for most people, but it does for me is they don't have a lot of options if things don't work out. Like, I don't trust Denzel Valentine at all. Their point guard rotation after Chris Dunn is horrifying. Just straight up horrifying. Like, Cameron Payne got cut loose by Oklahoma City, basically. And then, but but Charlotte, or sorry, not Charlotte, Chicago, thought that he was still good. And maybe he is. Maybe there's something there that I haven't seen. They let Jerry and Grant go. Again, that's losing an option, even though I didn't love Jerry and Grant. And other than at center... And I like their center rotation. Other than at center, they just, if things don't work, it's not like, oh, let's throw in Chandler Hutchison. Like, he's going to solve all these problems. Like, Chandler Hutchison might end up being a good player, but he's not going to be as a rookie, even though he's an older rookie. So that's what makes me concerned about them is bad defense, inconsistent offense, though that inconsistency can work to their advantage, and not having options either in case of injury or ineffectiveness. Yeah, I'm with you on on all of that, and I, it's just really hard to see a scenario where things work out well for them. But you know, I'm really interested in the fact that the sharps, the sharps are pushed go over it. 30. Yeah, I, I'm very interested in that as well. So one thing I wanted to talk with you about, and I, uh, so I cracked up. I'm now looking. I looked at my list when you mentioned Phoenix. I actually wrote the Suns in twice. I wrote them in that higher tier where I mentioned them before, and I wrote them in the lower tier. And <laughs> I feel like that's appropriate. <laughs> you know, like yeah, that's that's, that's not it what is. I intend to do. And but. The Suns are this super strange team because I put them in the plausible group. Yeah, I also put them in the, in the less plausible group because there is this kind of idea that it could maybe work out. And some, I mean, it's also hard to reconcile with how much they're going to play their veterans versus how much they're going to play their young guys. Like, there's a lot of weird stuff with them, especially when you have a new head coach and a fire general manager. Like, what are your priorities? That's going to be a big question. But what I like about the Suns this year as opposed to last year, is that I do think they have a lot of options. I don't necessarily like those options, but they have a lot of them. So, for example, at the forward spots, I don't know how they're going to figure out this rotation, but at least they have, you know, TJ Warren and however they're going to figure out Ariza and Ryan Anderson and Josh Jackson and and Mikhail Bridges, like whether those guys play some of the four, they play the two, three, however that works out. And that having a lot of guys is useful there. They can, they can make it work. I like Warren a lot. 
But this is another one of those, like, why are you expecting that a bad team is going to be better than bad? And I, I think Akashkov could do it. I also think they have a lot of young guys, so that could work out. But I could see them being, like, in the mid-30s for sure. Like, I, there's an argument for it. Like, it, it's a possibility. The problem is, it's more likely that they're in the low 30s, and teams that are low 30s quality very rarely win in the low 30s, because they usually then go into the 20s because they're trying to improve their draft pick or any, or any number of other things, or maybe they win a couple extra games, they push for the playoffs, and they miss it. Like, that's usually the way that works out. And so... Phoenix kind of straddles that line. I think people who are higher Devin Booker, stronger Devin Booker optimists than me would go in that, would go in the positive direction. And those who are a little bit skeptical of either the organizational uncertainty, which is certainly a good argument, but the Suns are, I I could see this working out better than some people think on kind of a similar logic to what I said about the Bucks, where it's like this situation went from being a disaster in terms of coaching and everything else. And there's still a disaster off the court to be, to be sure. But, and Kokoshkov isn't proven like Budenholzer is, but if all he does is more competently use the players they have, they won't be good, but they'll be better than they were. A lot of this is like, keep an eye on Josh Jackson. Like, that's the guy that I keep looking at. He has such a rough start the first few months of the season that everyone like wrote him off and that was it. And then really quietly, he got everything and the game started to slow down for him and he started to understand defense and his shot started to go. And like, even with the haphazard chaos of last year, he started to work really well in the role he was assigned. And I think that Igor's going to put him in a much better position to have a defined identity. And he's capable of doing so much. Like, I, as high as everyone is on Devin Booker, and I get it, he scored 70 and all that, but uh, I can see a scenario where Josh Jackson winds up being the best player and the leader on this team. Uh, I think he's got the right mentality. I think he's got the right edge. I think he does the things to help you win basketball games. And I think that as he gets better, you're going to see the Suns improve. I just don't know if it's going to be this year or not. Um, how many Kings games are you going to watch this year? Oh, I'll watch them at least every two weeks. I mean, I, I, I have, I'm interested in numerous things. They're in my last year. They're in, I call it the dregs. And basically the argument for me with them, it's the Kings and the Hawks, is yeah. I don't see a cogent argument that they could like be a let's say a mid 30s win team like other than like exceedingly outperforming right. their talent level in close games like something like that that would be the way they do it and remember Sacramento did that last year and they still sucked so Sacramento the the big linchpin for them you talked about Josh Jackson for Phoenix is actually a guy who was taken right around the same spot in the draft that same year which is De'Aaron Fox De'Aaron Fox is basically the the linchpin of watchability for the Kings if he takes a big step forward this year They'll be bad, but interesting. If he's basically the same guy that he was, they'll be bad and uninteresting. And he looked like that that game against, I think that was against the Lakers before they got absolutely molly whipped by the Warriors the next day. Why they played a back-to-back with travel, I don't understand. But he was taking, we talked about this a little bit with Giannis. He looked confident in his jump shot and it was going in fairly frequently and that's important too. But to me, it was the confidence that was very intriguing because he didn't look as confident in it last year. And if teams have to defend him a little bit differently, that opens up more real estate and Sacramento has a bunch of guys. I don't necessarily love the guys they have a bunch of, but I'm interested in that. You know, like Harry Giles is a wonderful story. I really liked, I got to see him a little bit in high school and thought he was an intriguing talent, really missed out on him at Duke. But if he, you know, I think of him more the way when I've been watching Harry Giles so far, he's looked to me more like a a small forward or a two guard in a power forward's body. And that can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing depending on how he uses those skills. But I'm interested in that. That's something that's worth watching. 
Bagley's the same kind of thing. Like, I don't know that he'll be good, but I want to see what he is. And then the guy, it's unfortunate that he's going to miss the start of the year. But to me, the other guy that's really big for their watchability is Bogdan Bogdanovich because he's just a fun guy to watch. Every once in a while, he explodes. He's an intriguing passer. He can get some penetration. He's, let's call it inconsistent defensively. But I don't know. The Kings have a lot of guys that fascinate me and I end up watching those teams also Sacramento by being by being a west coast team I end up watching them a fair amount because their games are the last ones on like that's a big difference for them but the teams that end up losing out for me are generally teams that play in the central time zone that aren't as interesting because there are always other games on but on the west coast you know if you're sitting there and it's the second half and there are only one or two games on maybe the Sacramento game is better than the Lakers game or the Blazers game and so I'll watch it Better you than me, sir. I I just at this point I've had so much hope in them year after year. I just, I, <laughs> That's I fair. That's I totally fair. Um, so my I'll, la- I'll, I'll, so well, yeah, no, go through it. Uh, my last tier is just the Hawks and the Knicks. Um, Interesting. Okay. I, I, I like John Collins. I have hope for Trey Young. I like some of their young wings. I think that they have guys that I appreciate, especially as trade ships. I want them out of there. But uh, that team's just a bummer, and 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 you know we'll see where they're at in a year. But as of now, I just I don't can't. It's gonna be it's gonna be painful watching them. And then the next, like I'm not a KP guy in general. I'm always kind of like, okay, it's great that he's good for a month. What else? Um, I think his his interior defensive impact is understated, and his perimeter impact is overstated. Um, and then the rest of that team just wolf. Like I love Kevin Knox, and I have I kind of have eyes on him as a long shot rookie of the year favorite. But just generally speaking, they still won't commit to starting Frank. I mean, he's going to be battling with Emmanuel Moutier for minutes. I'm depressed every time I see Courtney Lee wasting what's been a very good career there. Same thing for Lance Thomas. Like, this team just bums me out. It just bums me out. I like that they're being patient. I like that they're taking the long view. I like their general approach. I'm not like a hundred percent like, oh, this is going to be great. Like, I don't, we don't know yet. There's a lot of mixed stuff that happened in, in Memphis. Some good, some bad. If it's good, great. It's going to be an awesome story. But going in right now, I definitely got the Hawks and Knicks of the two teams. And I'm just like, they are just kind of there. They might as well just be team written on the back of their jerseys. I have the Knicks a little bit higher. So for me, so I'll clarify. So my tier seven is Cavs, Nets, Suns, Magic. That's the plausible playoff thing. Then the next one is, th- I phrased it, things need to go really well. And so like, I don't expect it to, but it, it could. And so again, I have the Suns. I'm leaning into putting the Suns in twice. I think that's okay. The Suns, the Bulls, and the Knicks. And so the reason I have them over the dregs is because I think they just have more talent that is ready to contribute. Like the Knicks, it is depressing to see Courtney Lee and Lance Thomas and to a point Ennis Canner, though I feel like this is kind of Ennis Canner's destiny is, is to be like the starter on a team that isn't that interesting. But they at least have more guys than like the Kings and the Hawks. And so that's why I have them above. And the Bulls are the same story. Like I, I don't expect them to be good, but they have more pieces in place to potentially be decent than those teams. And and Phoenix fits in well with this because depending on which way they approach the season, they, they fit in well. And then for me, the Kings and the Hawks, like, oh, so I should mention why I'm interested in the Knicks. Because it's, it's, it's a limited thing. It'll depend on how Fizz plays this rotation. Mitchell Robinson and Kevin Knox are both really interesting for me. Like Robinson, I think what really changed it for me was one simple thing, which was when Nate and I were putting together our draft prospects outline, one of the last lines was, do you want to watch a Mitchell Robinson game and tell me about it? And I did. I watched one of his Louisiana high school games and it was so fascinating because I just hadn't gone back and really watched like not just a high school game because I've watched good high school players play for years. I go to I go to Adidas Nations or whatever, all those kind of things when I can, Hoop Summit, all that. But watching Mitchell Robinson, who now people have seen in Summer League and everything else, 
play against like lower division Louisiana high school kids was hilarious and fascinating and fun and all that kind of stuff. And I just got so much more invested in him because it's like, okay, because basically that's the last thing he did before this was so to see a guy jump from Louisiana high school to potentially a rotation spot in the NBA just makes me super invested. And I'm really interested in that. Knox, I've never been as high on him, but I love the energy he's playing with and like his physical talent is certainly there. So the argument for his ceiling is is present. It's it's there. And then when they get Porzingis back, they'll be more watchable. So I think they'll be bad. I think I think they'll be, you know, kind of a generic bad team, but not an awful team. Unless they really lean into it, which they absolutely could, and I think would be the best thing for the franchise long term. And that gets into kind of one of the last topics I wanted to get with you, which isn't really in the tiers prospect, but what I'm one of the things that I'm really interested in watching this year, and there are a series of different teams that we could talk about in this lens. The Knicks and the Clippers are two obvious ones, but I think the Nets could be in here too, is these teams that aren't really good, but want to be in the mix for these this crazy free agent class that's coming in. How do they approach the second half of the regular season? And is it different than these teams that are just not in that mix? Like, let's say Phoenix. So does Balmer basically tell Lawrence Frank and and everybody else, we need to push through the finish line, even if we're not a playoff team, because we want Kawhi, we want Jimmy Butler to think that we're a better organization, that we're not like this. And that's kind of what the Lakers did, but the Lakers didn't have their own first round pick last year. Or do those teams like the Knicks and all that go, hey, if they're going to pay attention to us, it's going to be about like limited things, like what players are fun to play with and everything like that. And then we might as well get a good draft pick because that's somebody they can play with. And so that's going to be defining for like four or five teams in the league this year. And I have no idea how to reconcile it. I think for the most part, I think teams have learned. I think teams learned after a couple of years there in the early 2010s where they would clear cap space and then whiff and then you're stuck and then you feel like you have to fill in that cap space with those contracts i think teams have learned i think teams have also learned like if a star wants to come to you you can figure it out like that's the biggest thing is if kd says i want to go to la i don't want to play with lebron i like balmer's team i'm going to the clippers if kd says that the clippers will not have a problem clearing cap space like they will just they'll they will renounce rights to tobias harris they'll trade Lou Williams and Patrick Beverly. They'll clear the necessary salary that they have to to get KD in. If KD goes to even, even if he wants to go to a team that's cap strapped, if he does that, that team will still be able to clear it. It may be painful, but it's still going to work. That will always work. And so I'll be interested. I can't, I have hope that the Knicks won't do that this year. The Knicks won't be, and then the Knicks also don't have anybody where it's like, as long as they're not leveraging draft picks, it's fine. But like when they were leveraging draft picks in 2010, and wound up with Amari, that was like, oof, okay. That's quite a step down there um, when you whiffed out on LeBron. Uh, I think teams are smart enough to know that now. I think teams have also looked at, at squads like Orlando that were like, oh, no, we're done rebuilding. we got to win games. Let's clear cap space and go after big free agent names. And then got nobody and wound up paying Bismack Biyombo. Like, that's the worst case scenario. I think the small markets have figured out a little bit, a little bit better how to manage stuff. So I have a lot, I, I don't think we're going to see as much craziness towards the back end. I think we're going to see very few tank teams. I think that the, uh, the evening of the tank odds will probably help that a little bit. And I, I just think that we're going to be probably in for a knock on wood. We're going to be in for, I think, a more calm trade deadline than we have been in the last couple of years. We absolutely could be. And I think what's the, the earlier trade deadline is going to, again, shift the questions about who's a buyer and who's a seller. And I think there are going to be a bunch of teams that aren't really sure. And 
especially when you have owners like some of these teams, like I talked about, you know, Phoenix is another example here, that they want to be good, even if it, even if they're not, that I think we're going to see fewer sellers just because teams aren't going to be ready at that point to, to move on. The Clippers, if they got there, if they have a rough start at the season, are the single most interesting seller in the entire league because they have all these good players on reasonable contracts that might be gone anyway. So if they like, all of a sudden they're trading like Beverly and Avery Bradley and Luke Richard and Bob Mute and Mike Scott and like they could they could clear a bunch of stuff out and actually really help other teams. But that requires them knowing in early February, and I think that's probably too early as of right now. And another thing that's going to complicate this for a couple of these teams is the steps back that some of the, especially in the Western Conference, that some of these top teams are going through. Because now, I, I before this, before all this stuff happened, I was thinking somewhere in the like 46 win range to get in in the West. Now, because we don't know who's going to get injured and everything else beyond this point, and because now my expectations are lower for the Spurs, for the Thunder, for a third team I'm forgetting... They're basically, I think that the, the bar is going to be a little bit lower and the bar is already going to be low in the East. I think we all pretty much expect that. So if the Clippers are three or four games off pace, that's something very different than being six or seven off pace. So I think more teams are going to kind of be in that not buyer, not seller mix. And so that, that would lead credence to your idea of a quiet trade the lawn. Agree. I'm with you there. Anything else that uh, you think we should discuss? Any like what? What are you most interested in seeing in the first, let's say, two three weeks of the season? I'm most interested in seeing how good the Mavs are. Uh, you know, Luka Doncic, DeAndre Jordan should be a big impact. Uh, I'm the Lakers are going to be a fascinating train wreck that's going to be on every night. Like, and not a train wreck. It's going to be a wild ride. It's going to be a roller coaster. There's going to be high highs and low lows. I want to see if Denver can finally step up and deliver on its promise versus. You know, lazing through stuff, and and that's a there's some tension with that team right now. Not in a bad way; it's like a healthy tension, but like they're just very much like we can't screw around anymore. Um, we just we have to be super serious, and they did that. But this is also a team that I think struggles with that sometimes with being a serious team. They're just not built that way with their their personalities. Um, I want to see how Utah does. Does Ricky Rubio come out and shoot well again, or and are they that legit, or is it like oh? The Jazz only look kind of okay. The Heat, I think, are really interesting early on. And then uh, like Memphis and the Cavs are two other teams. I'm really fascinated in seeing how that goes. Like I feel like everybody else, I have a pretty good sense of where they're going to be and, and what they're going to look like. And like some teams with the Raptors, even if they go off to a hot start, I'm going to be like, I want to see it. The Pacers, I think, are another team. Like, Can they pick up where they left off last year, or do they regress? Those are the, Seeing whether teams make the jumps that we expect or if they're still where they are, and seeing if teams are – still as good as we think, or if they if they regress. Those are the two areas I think I'm, I'm most excited to kind of keep an eye on. I'll echo a lot of those. Lots of great suggestions here. My number one is Milwaukee. I think the Bucks, whether whether this is there, whether Giannis is the MVP this year, is and whether that he has that next level or multiple is, is a really big question for the league. And it's a big question for Milwaukee. It might be a big question. I mean, we will get a, another clarification in terms of his future and all that stuff probably next offseason, but we're not there yet. Toronto, I agree with you. It's going to be kind of preliminary signs. Them in Boston, it's going to be how do their previously injured guys look? I'm not going to be evaluating them a lot on October, November, but it'll be getting kind of those early signs. But another big one for me is New Orleans. Does their front court work? Can they figure out the small forward stuff enough to to look as good as as their ceiling is? Like this, I, I just love so many guys on this team. 
and think that it absolutely could work. So I'm fascinated with that. Dallas, as you said, like they're they're a really really interesting story just with how these pieces like it, it might just be a year early for them. Like them, I, I when I was writing about it in a piece for the Athletic, I, I kind of tried to show this line of this could be a clarifying year for them, or it could just kind of be a weird transition holding pattern year. And I don't know which of those two it's going to be at this point. It's kind of going to be if they're healthy, if they if if the pieces come together earlier than expected, and then. Really, like, the Lakers, I think you brought up, you know, a Wild Ride is probably a good way of putting it, because I don't know what they're going to look like at the beginning of the year, and I don't know if what they look like at the beginning of the year is going to have any relation to what they are later, for a couple of big reasons. One is, they have all these kind of similar players that I feel like the young guy should be the one who eventually takes the spot, but they might not want to start there. Maybe they do. I'm very encouraged with Josh Hart getting a, a larger opportunity early in the season than I was worried about. But remember, LeBron teams overwhelmingly look different at the end of their his first season there than they do at the beginning. Like, that's just what happens. And sometimes that ends up happening more in his first offseason, you know, like that. And we, I think we all expect that to happen with this Lakers team just because so many guys are on one-year deals. But maybe they move some of these guys. Maybe they do all that stuff during the season because it's one of the most shocking developments of this summer was the Lakers kind of taking this weird holding pattern season when LeBron James is 33 turning 34 in about two months. And even though he's a cyborg sent from the future to run basketball, there is a certain point where he will not be this guy anymore. And so I thought they were going to push more for the immediate. And so what I'm kind of wondering is there's an argument to just wait until 2019, see who, see what star they get in free agency, all that kind of stuff. But there's another part of me that's going to go, is LeBron comfortable waiting that long? And that's why they're going to be worth watching because whether Luke Walton can keep it together, who they actually play and who they actually keep, all those are fascinating. Yep. With you on all that. We've talked plenty, but I will thank you so much for taking time. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. It's been awesome. Thanks again to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. You can read him at the Action Network. You can, of course, follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball. That's HP, standing for Hardwood Paroxysm. Basketball, B-A-S-K-E-T-B-A-L-L. And love having him on. He's so good at talking about a lot of things, but especially on the Tears podcast because he's thought about the league. And I mean, you could tell it just with the way that he broke out the teams and our disagreements were were fascinating too, in terms of clarifications and all that. And we'll both be doing this over the course of the year for our respective outlets. For him, I think it'll mostly be the Action Network. For me, it'll mostly be on this podcast, but love doing that with Matt. Don't have an exact plan for next week yet for the show, but of course it'll be something. That's the fun of Real Jam Radio. If you want to support this show, you can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. You can also do it in Apple Podcasts. They're the same thing. Awesome. If they are not, you can be even better and rate and review it in both. That's really great because Apple Podcasts is still massive in our business. You can also subscribe, download every episode. That is particularly great for a show like Real Jam Radio, which does not come out on a specific day of the week, so you can't really get into a habit that way. So if you subscribe, then it'll just pop in whenever you have it. And the best way to support the show and anything else really that has has them is by checking out our advertisers. All-American on the CW, first episode aired when I'm recording this last night. I really enjoyed the pilot. I haven't seen any upcoming episodes, but I'm excited to. BetOnline.ag, not only do you have that 
podcast one promo code for a 50% sign up bonus. But if you send me an email with that hashtag sportsnet challenge, sorry, if you send me a tweet with that, then you can get entered and five listeners will get $100 in real money in credits, which is awesome. So you can check that out. Also, Pudo TV, leading free television streaming service, and True Car, great place to buy new and used cars. As I said, we'll be back next week. Feel free if you have feedback, good, bad, or indifferent. NBA at gmail.com is the way to, to, to email me. I don't always respond, but I promise to read everything. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. But sometimes things don't require response. Sometimes I don't have the time for it. And part of the reason I don't always have the time for it is, A, Dunked On is back to full-time now, which is extremely exciting, but five times a week doing that. And also, I've been working... Secret's a strong word for it, but I've been working on this big project for the athletics, something I've wanted to do for years now, but just have never had the time, is a combination off-season review, season preview, and upcoming off-season preview piece. And the Athletic NBA was on board, and so I'm doing those for all 30 teams. So I've been working on that the second half of the summer for a long time. Really enjoyed the thought process of trying to put all this together, being like all, everything that's happened in the last three months, everything that's going to happen in the next nine together in a 1100 word, let's say, piece. And so those are coming out at The Athletic over the course of the next week. They will all be out before the start of the season. So you should definitely check that out as well. And I'll have other writing showing up other places too, but this has been monopolizing my writing time. Over, over the last little while, but I, I love it. I'm really proud of it. I'm ha- so happy I did it. So you can definitely check that out as well. And that's enough rambling for now. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen, take care and make it a great day. Thunderstruck. Adjective. Shocked and amazed by the power of fun on Carnival. Riding Bolt, the world's first roller coaster at sea, Brian got thunderstruck so hard, his 93-year-old grandmother felt it 3,000 miles away in Nebraska and immediately booked a cruise. Hooray! Get Thunderstruck starting at 289. Carnival. Choose fun. Cruises are in U.S. dollars per person, double occupancy. Taxes, fees, and port expenses additional. Restrictions apply. Full details on Carnival.com. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over. The new year is here. And the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. So call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW. At our fully accredited, world-class treatment center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY.